Hey, welcome back. I'm David the Good. And today we're going to talk about how to not kill your garden. So, I'm hoping that we're getting a signal. Yep, looks like it. Good, good, good. Alright, sometimes there's a little bit of a drag. And the, the, the new way that uh, the YouTube studio works is a little different compared to the way it used to work. So, um, I'm always afraid that it's totally not working. Because <laughs> it looks weird. Anyhow, I wanted to say hi to you guys. I hope you've been getting some garden gardening in. I know it's, uh, for those of you in Florida, it's probably getting pretty hot out there. And for those of you further north, you're all freezing right now because the sun has betrayed us. So, <clears throat> you know, like I was, I was talking about uh, this last week, it really makes sense to, to prepare for stuff that is outside of what we expect. So if you think global warming is coming, it also makes uh, good sense to prepare for global cooling. If you think global cooling is coming, prepare for a little bit of global warming too. So what you get is resiliency. It's like if you put all your eggs in basket in one basket, like you've got a regular job, right? And you think it's a stable job and it's the kind of job that you're going to go on and you're going to get good benefits and you're going to grow up in the career and get better and better. And then something happens and the company goes under and there's only one thing that you're actually really good at and it's it's the whole industry is having a hard time. It's going to be much worse for you than if you had a little bit of plant nursery over here and you had a little bit of maybe you, you help people with their taxes over here. Maybe you've got like three or four different things that you can do. Um, it's, it's much better than, than just relying on that one thing that you think is the safe thing. So if you think that global warming is the safe bet, I would just, I would bet against it at the same time I'm betting on it. You know what I mean? So you're, you're kind of making redundancy and stuff. So, hey guys, <clears throat> let's see who's here. Son of Dog Chow. Hello. Jennifer. Jules. Danny. Scott. Karen. Derek. Brett. Jason, Marcus, E.M. Johnson, hot and muggy. <laughs> Jules is in the desert of Southern California working on my first garden. Ah, you're my kind of gardener. First garden. Hooray for first gardens. You got to start with something. Fantastic. Fantastic. Maybe we can, maybe we can help you. <laughs> I wish we could all come over and help you dig. Um, Scott saw his first squash vine borer moth flying around. Couldn't catch it. Ugh. Dave here, almost in South Carolina. Hey, Dave. Hey, Matthew. Nice to see you again. Warm and sunny in Washington. Shashakila, welcome back. Carolyn, Finca, Sirhat. Actually, had 2.5 inches of rain so far today. 1.7 inches yesterday. 2.8 inches the day before. Man, that's a lot of rain. Holy moly. Ian e. Johnson says, and you don't prepare for anything else? No, no, no. What you do is you prepare for all kinds of things. But you, you can't go crazy preparing. Like, you can't prepare for every single thing. What you need to do is make yourself as resilient as possible and your gardens as resilient as possible, which is why I'm a big fan of trees and perennials. But I plant trees above my zone and I plant trees below my zone. I plant trees that like it dry. I plant trees that like it wet. So what you're doing is you're making it as resilient as possible. Um, I've, I've done voice acting. I've ghostwritten. I have, um, I have done... Oh my goodness. I've done video editing. I've done graphic design, which I was not very good at, uh, so I quit. Uh, I've done house painting. 
I've done carpentry. One time when I was out of work, I built tables. I designed a little table and I built and sold tables. Another time when I was low on work, I painted landscape paintings and sold them. So, but what I've done is, is and what I think all of you should do is, is not to just have one skill and count on one person to hire you and that's your one big job. The best thing to do, especially in an economy like this one, is to make sure that you have some resiliency where you can, you can effortlessly bounce to the next thing if one thing crashes. So say you have one job, and your job is a good job. It pays 70,000 bucks a year. Boom, you got it, man. You're handling life. You're doing pretty good. Maybe your house mortgage was only 150,000. Hey, you're doing really good, right? Well, what happens when that job goes under? Like a lot of jobs are going under right now. That's your one source. You're better off learning to live at $40,000 a year. I know this sounds crazy, but you're better off learning to live at $40,000 a year, but you have like five different jobs that you do. And then you build up from there and hopefully you reach, if you reach that 70,000 per year that you were doing before, maybe with one job, but you have five different clients you're working for and maybe some of them aren't in the same industry that's even better the further out you can get the better the better right so so if you both know how to paint houses and you know how to do accounting you've got two completely different areas you have you have lost some of that that dangerous territory where maybe the IRS changes everything and it's really hard to be an accountant you have to you have to relearn everything you jump over and you paint houses I used to make 25 bucks an hour painting houses because I did the bidding and the purchasing and everything all myself. I worked as a one-man team, and sometimes I would hire a relative or a friend to come and help me, but mostly it was just me painting houses. And I, I just, I knew that I could paint really good lines, and I had a high attention to details. So I painted houses. It was really funny. There was nothing wrong with doing blue-collar work. It's fantastic. It's great to do blue-collar work. Um, I'd rather do that than work in an office. But anyhow, so what happens is, if the economy crashes and you have five different chunks that all add up to seventy thousand, you're in much better shape than that seventy thousand is coming from one stable business that you think is really stable. Because if that business goes under, you have nothing. So if you lose twenty thousand a year, you've still got fifty. One of your clients disappears. You know, so it's it's hard to do that because you have to be the manager of risk in your own life. And you have to be able to go out and pursue the opportunities and stuff. But like, I'm a big believer in the backyard nursery project. You know, I wrote the little book, How to Start Your Own Home-Based Nursery. I started based on the little nursery I started. My little nursery was not a huge nursery. My little nursery was backup. My little nursery paid for the extra groceries. It paid for gas. It paid for car repairs. It paid for all kinds of stuff. But it was one more little bit of resiliency in a, in a world that is filled with all kinds of risks. So if I had lost the audio editing work that I was doing at that point, I could just double down on the nursery and build the nursery up more. If the nursery business dropped off like it did every summer, I could I could go back and build more on the other side of it. So it's really good to have that, and it's good to have your gardens in the ground, and when you put your gardens in your ground, to be really resilient with it. So you're, you're not only planting one type of beans, you're planting two or three types or five types. You're planting uh, berries uh, as berry bushes, right? You're planting blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, and mulberries rather than just planting blueberries. So you're, you're, you're all over the place. That's why farms used to be really resilient and used to take care of people and they would say, you know, you're a farmer, you never go hungry. Well, now you can go hungry as a farmer because farmers are growing massive 
monocultures of corn. So you can go hungry, and not only that, you can go super, super broke if you have a bad year. And you have to rely on the government to bail you out. You don't want to be in that position. If you have a small farm on a few acres, uh, you have a you have a cow for milk. You've got um, some goats for milk. You got a few chickens. You've got some grain corn going over here. Some potatoes over there. You got a little orchard. You got a little pond. You got a little bit of stuff going all the time. You've always got food in the ground. You've always got something you could can or preserve or put away. So that's what I'm talking about. But that's not the topic for today. <clears throat> <laughs> Scott sends a $15 super chat and says, you should have some run money by now. So this is for bandwidth. Thank you very much. <clears throat> One of these days you should, you should fly down and visit me. I will buy you some rum. Original Crispy sends a $20 super chat and said, how'd you get into voice acting, Dave? Well, somebody said, I want somebody with a really annoying nasal voice. And I just happened to be there. <laughs> Actually, I was working in radio. I was working in radio already uh, as a audio editor. I started off writing promo scripts and then ended up teaching myself to do audio editing because there was a position that was going to open up because I knew the guy was going to quit eventually. He was really irritated at the boss. And he was going to leave, and I really wanted to learn how to audio edit because I wanted to master some of the music that I was working on and do kind of some of my own projects. But I also thought if he left, I could take that position and get paid more than the part-time work I was doing writing promo copy. And so I, I ended up learning how to do the audio editing, and then later I ended up becoming a, a producer. Now, this was all nonprofit Christian radio. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't like I was you know working for... Prairie Home Companion or something like that. It was it was just it was just um, it was national Christian radio, but it wasn't it wasn't the big time. It was still kind of in the ghetto, you know. Um, but I ha I I would I would learn one job after the other through the office and, until I knew how to do every aspect of it. And then I took a job at a media agency outside of Nashville, and they they would produce spots, so they would hire actors. So I did some test test reads and happened to be in the office, and because I did well at the, the test reads, they ended up hiring me regularly to do that. And I, I had a part playing a financial advisor who gave terrible financial advice, which was a lot of fun. I did that for a, a nonprofit organization, and, and I did, I wrote a, maybe 100 or 200 scripts for them and then did the did the voice acting and I would play this guy named Tony and he would give this advice he had this terrible New York type accent and he would just give horrible advice like telling people to run up their credit cards buying lottery tickets because it increased the odds that they were going to win you know that kind of thing so um, yeah I, that, that's how I got into it <laughs> just happened to be there and I also I had a gift of, of imitating people which I used to use to uh, annoy my sisters leaving messages on my parents' answering machine and stuff like that. <clears throat> so, Anna says, I put 136 pounds of chicken in my freezer this month. Was that one chicken? <laughs> no, I know that wasn't one chicken, Anna. That would be, you have to milk feed chickens to get them that big. E.M. <clears throat> Johnson says, I have dogs that double as linebackers. I thought you were going to, we were talking about meat animals here, so... Um, Lauren says, is your guide on developing a backyard nursery on your website? No, it's uh, on Amazon. Just one second. I will put a link here. 
in the comment thread. And then we'll get started because I, I'm excited about today's topic and, well, I just want to do it. So this book, I actually just had somebody write me and say they were making 500 bucks a week and thank you very much. They followed my advice and they, they started their little backyard nursery. This isn't, this isn't the way to get rich quick, but um, this is the, uh, this is just the, the complete method I use to make decent side money. I mean, it's not, I, 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 it's not like one of those $300 courses or something. It's just a little book, <laughs> but it works. It works. <clears throat> and you'll see why when you read it. Uh, 28, good work. 28 chickens. You know, it almost looks like it's going to rain here. I don't know. We really need it, but we don't have it now. Okay. All right. So let's talk about how to not kill your garden. Actual content starts here. <laughs> How to not kill your gardens. I get a lot of emails and uh, I get a lot of comments and I try to I try to answer emails and comments. I'm not on Facebook because if I had Facebook going as well, I'd probably go insane just trying to keep track of everything. Plus Facebook causes brain damage. So I, I try to avoid that. Um, but I get I get questions on Instagram and I get questions. Uh, regularly on YouTube, but then I get a lot of emails. Do you hear that weird sound? That howling sound? My kids made a kite with a noisemaker on the end of it. And they're on the other side of the ridge over there and they're trying to fly it. Actual content starts here. Okay, so here's the deal. How not to kill your garden. I get a lot of questions all the time and a lot of them are, are things like, uh, what did I do here or what should I do here and how should I do this and how should I do this and and I'm starting my first garden so since you're starting your first garden um, <clears throat> Jules since you're starting your first garden this is this is for you hopefully this is helpful the the biggest the biggest things you can you can avoid right at the beginning the biggest thing you can avoid or you should avoid is putting your garden out of reach. Okay, for some reason, people people often have this idea that a vegetable garden is not something they want right next to the house. A vegetable garden should be relegated to the back corner of the back 40. Somewhere at the edge of your yard, you stick your garden. You know, um, I had a friend and she set up three vegetable garden beds. She didn't put them in her front yard right next to her door. She didn't put them next to her back door or next to her patio. She put them about 400 feet from the back of her house. So when are you going to check on those? If you're a really good, good, conscientious person, you're going to walk back there and, and check on them. But it's not like a dog. You know, like a dog is like, hey, hey, feed me. Hey, hey, take me outside. Hey, hey, you want to play? Like, gardens won't do that. Gardens will sit there and die. A dog's not going to sit there and die. A dog's going to bug you to death until you take care of him. Gardens don't do that. So, you know, if, if you've ever read any permaculture design, like I've, I've been rereading, there's a very good book. Um, you know, I'm going to drop a link to this book too because this is, this is, this is one of the best books on gardening that I have ever read in my life 
and I'm I'm very sad that the author passed away not that long ago. This is the very man alive. This is like this is the gardening book for you. If if you want to make long-term resilient gardens and kind of get an idea of how planning works and all that kind of stuff and to get an overview of the permaculture idea of permanent gardens rather than just gardens for right now. So I'm going to drop the drop a link here. This link is to uh, Gaia's Garden by Toby Hemingway. <laughs> James says, what if you're hiding from your wife? That's why you'd put your garden. That's why you'd put your garden 500 feet away. I can't hear the nagging from here. You're hiding behind the corn. Drinking a beer so she doesn't catch you. Are you drinking out there? No. That's just sad. That's just sad. No, what you need to do is 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 marry somebody and then try to talk her into gardening in a bikini. I mean, I would never do that to my wife. I've never done that in my entire life. But there's nothing better than being out in the garden with a, with a bikini babe. <laughs> that's that's the way it should be. All right. So so the first thing is put your garden near your house. Don't put it in the back corner. The garden's beautiful. The garden should be beautiful. Now, of course, you can you can have an ugly garden, and there are some years you just can't avoid it. But having that garden right there where you can just go walk out back and you can take care of it and you can see it and you're gonna you're gonna catch it as soon as it starts wilting. You'll see it as soon as you get a pest problem. You'll see it. A friend of mine said he didn't look at his tomatoes for a few days once, and then he came back and all his tomatoes were sticks. Hornworms, big, fat hornworms. It's really fast. You you put your garden near your house. Don't put it in a back corner. Hey, put it in your front yard. Put it right next to the walkway so you have to walk past it to get in your, in your car to go to one of your five gigs that you're running, right? So it's gonna be there. You can't, you can't, you come home from the grocery store and you say, well, look at that. The, the, pepper is wilting I guess we're running a little low on water or or look at that um, it looks like there's a plague of some sort of bright orange beetle thing in there I'm I, I'm gonna step on those right now you know whatever if you see your garden you'll take care of it and this sounds kind of weird and mystical but somehow I think plants know when they're loved and being tended I can't tell you this for sure but I feel like if I go around and I talk to my plants, they they respond. They seem to know that I'm around. And there's a, that um, just seems like the more you're around your plants, the better they do. I, I don't know, I don't know why that would be the case or if it's some sort of mystical thing that goes back to creation or whatever. But I've had some great conversations with my plants. My plants told me to kill my neighbor. My plant, my plant told me to, no, no, my plant didn't tell me that. That was my dog. Um, no, but seriously, you can talk to your plants. I don't, if they answer, seek help. But <laughs> I do think they appreciate having you around. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's a, maybe there's some sort of little bit of a creative energy field left around us, right? I mean, I'm a Calvinist. I'm a hardcore Calvinist 
and uh, and and really a a rational thinker for the most part. But I kind of feel like God gave us a little bit of His creative energy when He made us, and He said, "Tend a garden." I mean, God planted a garden first. He put man in the garden. And he said, "Here, tend this garden." I think there's a, some sort of a connection between us and the gardens and the trees and everything else that when we're around them, they do better. Maybe we have a little bit of God's creative energy that's been put into us and the plants just know it. I don't know. But putting your garden close, even if you don't believe in all that nonsense, is a, is a good thing. So you can hear what they say to you at night while you're in your bed. Um, so that's, that's number one on how not to kill your garden. Put it in a place where you're actually going to see it. Put them near your house not in a back corner. Don't put it someplace like you're ashamed of it. You're not ashamed of it. You are a good gardener. You love your gardens. Your gardens love you and they give you advice all the time. They talk to you and they never stop. They never shut up, especially especially the marigolds. Talk about companion planting. That's a companion I could do without, but I can't kill them. No, they'd know I was going to kill them. So the second thing is plant the right plants. Plant the right plants. <clears throat> um, yeah, the shadow of the gardener is the best fertilizer. That's right. The best medicine for your garden is their gardener be with your plants. Brett says, good advice. Just relocated my container garden into my screened-in Florida room. So much easier now, plus no mosquitoes. That's wonderful. And Karen, thank you very much for the super chat with the dancing pear. I love that dancing pear. You're so kind, Karen. Karen is my big encourager. And I think Karen is the reason. I planted a bunch of garden beds this year, and I named them after different people. And I named one bed after Karen, and that bed has done the best. And I didn't plan for it to do the best. I just named it well, I guess. Carbon tomatoes have been the best tomato out of the tomato project. <clears throat> Finka says, my plants tell me where to plant other plants. Um... Carolyn says, I read that talking to our plants is good. The air from our bodies is what good, what's good for the plants. Yeah, the, the plants breathe out oxygen. We breathe out carbon dioxide. It's perfect. Purpose of man is to tend the garden. Yeah. I think we do better, too. <clears throat> Arch, you don't get that list. Because you're a heretic. So you wouldn't even get to read the list. <laughs> Repent. All right. So, put them in your house. Put them near your house or in your house, not in the back corner. And the second thing is plant the right plants. I based an entire book on this premise. My book, Totally Crazy Easy Florida Gardening, is based on the premise that there are plants that will thrive in the climate that I was growing in, right? So people will say, oh, Florida is so hard for gardening. Oh, Florida, oh, it's terrible. Oh, Florida, so hard. You can't grow anything. I planted uh, I planted summer squash, and they died. I tried growing uh, brandywine tomatoes, and they died. I tried growing rhubarb, and it died. I'm like, of course it did. Bloody Yankee. Yankees. Bringing those crops down here. They don't make any sense. They don't make any sense in Florida, some of those things. So, so if you're trying to plant a plant that does not agree with the climate, you're gonna work so much harder. Look it, if you live in North Carolina at the very border of South Carolina, growing orchids is a pain in the neck. You're not gonna be able to hang orchids on your tree. But you know what? There was a, there was a girl that rented uh, from my parents for a while while she was doing medical school. She hung orchids 
on the tree in the backyard. She hung them on the mango tree and some of them are still growing there. Years later, she just hung them out in the backyard in Fort Lauderdale because orchids don't mind that climate. It doesn't freeze, gets abundant rainfall. They like that shady spot by the mango tree. If you plant the right plants, you will have success. If you can look around and see woods or see weeds growing well, I guarantee you there is some plant that will work in your climate. So if you force it, if you try and grow stuff that doesn't agree with the climate, you're going to make it miserable. It's not adapted to the climate. It's not going to do well. So, you know, people keep asking me, do you grow comfrey? Do you grow comfrey? Do you grow comfrey? No, I'm not growing comfrey. It, it's, I mean, it grows great for Paul. We didn't grow great for me. I had to keep it watered in Florida all the time. And there are varieties that apparently do well or whatever, but I never get to try them. So I just switched and I used Moringa instead because Moringa was basically a weed. You could, it grows like crazy. You could chop it and drop it over and over again. If it froze down in the winter, it would grow back. Um, you know, I, 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 I really want to grow food without having to kill myself for it. So like right now, um, my garden death march is all gathering information for the next season. So what did I do? I planted 12 varieties of tomatoes to figure out which variety of tomatoes does well. Well, carbon tomatoes did the best out of all of them. They beat everybody, even the, um, even the variety that grows locally. Um, well, I wouldn't say quite beat it. They're about neck and neck. The, the, the local variety that's often sold is a determinate variety and it gives up early, but it did give us a good bit of tomatoes before it gave up. But the, the carbon are still going and they're on their second round of tomatoes. So I know that that variety is, is pretty well adapted to the tropics. So to, to find the right plants may require testing different plants every single year, but you can, you can even, you can speed it up. You don't have to do all the experiments. If you can meet with your neighbors that are gardening and ask them what thing grows the easiest, you know, what's really easy? And when I wrote Totally Crazy Easy Florida Gardening, I just tested stuff and grew everything I could find until I had a set of crops for both staple greens and staple beans and staple pumpkins and staple roots. That would grow no matter what. Every year I always had stuff because they were, they were adapted to the climate. So being adapted to the climate, it was no big deal. Super easy to grow those things because they were the right plants. They fit with the climate. They didn't have many pest issues. They sailed through the heat. You know, you, you have to figure out which plants are the right plants. And the, the, the quickest way to do that is just to ask other gardeners in the area, what grows really well for you? And another way to do that is to see what's growing commercially in your area. And I've, I've mentioned that a bunch of times. If they're growing peaches in your area, well, plant, plant some peaches, you know. Unless you have huge peach, peach pests in your area, then you might have the right climate for it. But monocultures have made it difficult, like trying to grow citrus in Florida right now. But generally, if it can be grown commercially and people are making good money on it, that's going to do well in your climate. And also, you can look look around at the woods and see if there are any cousins of, of edible plants, like... I grew Chickasaw plums in Florida. Chickasaw plums was our wild Florida plum. And so I took that wild Florida plum and I planted, planted it in my yard and the birds planted a few more. And then I started experimenting with grafting onto it. So I grafted Japanese plums onto it and I grafted peaches onto it and I grafted nectarines onto it. And lo and behold, they all took, not all the grafts, but all the varieties. And, and I was actually getting these huge peaches 
uh, no, huge plums, the Japanese plums, they were the first ones that came in. Big, beautiful plums growing on this weedy little scrappy tree because I took what already was really suited to the climate and then I put a little touchier plant on top of it and it did great because it was borrowing the rootstock from something that was adjusted. So plant the right plants or graft onto the right plants and, and you're set. So, you know, in, in, in Tennessee, it's pretty easy to grow apples. It's really easy to grow pears. Uh, gooseberries do pretty well. The thornless blackberry varieties from the University of Arkansas, like Arapaho, uh, Wachita, um, Apache, all those, the ones named after various Native American tribes, those did really well for me, super easy. Grapes did well for me. I had a few different varieties. Um, and, and plums did well for me. And I had some, some higher chill peaches. Bell of Georgia and Alberta in my front yard, both of those did really well. And blueberries did okay, but not great. So I, I was testing different stuff there. And, oh man, Jerusalem artichokes, they were like a weed there. Hickory king corn was like a weed there. I had to find the right plants and grow them in Tennessee. And when I did, they did really well. So now when I go down to Florida, I couldn't grow Alberta or Bell of Georgia peaches in Florida because the chill hours weren't right. So I switched, I grew Tropic Beauty peach. Um, I grew a couple other varieties from the University of Florida. And I, I discovered that the easiest fruit trees were um, the Japanese persimmon, the loquat, and the mulberry. Those three were the easiest fruit trees that I grew. And then after that, it was uh, peaches. Peaches were easy, especially when you grew them from seed. They're very vigorous from seed. And if you, um, if you get a bunch of seeds in the, in the summer and put them in the fridge so they sprout and then put them in pots, you could get tons of free peaches. Um, just buy pe local peaches so the chill hours generally line up. And, and every peach tree that I grew from seed did really well. So if you plant the right plants, you plant plants that are adapted to the climate, man alive, you get tons of stuff. You know, you fit with the climate. Uh, Anna says, I have plenty of seminal pumpkin seeds if anybody wants to self-address stamped envelope me. That's very kind of you, Anna. That's awesome. Have a good, have a good night, Savannah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, Bridgewater Ambition, I love the, ah, you've got the Bephemus yelling. That's awesome. If you are a member of this channel, you get the Bephemus emoji and you can make it yell, ah, it's totally worth five bucks a month. <clears throat> All right, so. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Scott says, need more bandwidth money. Someone needs to hit some super chats. Well, thank you for that. And, and Shasha Kila says, maybe someone with that 70K a year job will come along and solve that problem. I think it was really funny. I, I remember um, telling Rachel, I said, you know who my people are? The cheapskates. I write gardening books for cheapskates. And she's like, that's not the way to make money. <laughs> You need to write gardening books for rich people. Could you do that instead? <laughs> could you find some expensive system you could sell to people that are rich instead of slumming it with all your cheapskate friends? <laughs> Annalena says, mulberries do quite well in my area. There's trees in my neighborhood that are not cared for and bear great every year. Everyone in the hood knows about them. Mulberries are such a great tree. 
They're so easy to grow. You can grow mulberries from the equator up into Canada. There's a variety of mulberry that'll grow all the way. Red mulberry, white mulberry, black mulberry, and all kinds of cultivars in between. It's a great tree. Everybody should know about them. Okay, so how not to kill your gardens. Number one, put your garden near your house, not in the back corner. Number two, plant the right plants. Plant with your climate. But here we go. Number three, plant at the right time. For those of you that live up north, this is the calculus of spring. Every year, you're trying to figure out when you should plant. If you plant too early, a late frost might destroy everything. If you plant too late, it might get hot in the summer and the bugs show up and they may not do very well or they may not produce before the frost of fall. This is a difficult one. If you, if you don't know your USDA growing zone, I highly recommend you figure out what it is. I also recommend you call your local agricultural extension office and find out if they have a planting chart for your area as in what crops go in the ground at what time. See, if you're gonna pay for something with your tax dollars, you should take advantage of it. And the local agricultural extension office, there are extension offices all over the United States with tons and tons of information. Yes, I know they're heavily funded by and, and tied up in big companies that spray poisons and they're really backwards on some stuff and whatever else, but you'll find um, enough knowledge there that's really useful to you because farmers have to make money so they have to be grounded in something and they, they know they, they figure out when to plant and they do tests on when to plant and they do tests on soil and they do all kinds of cool stuff there's a lot of information available from your local agricultural extension so take it take advantage of it and find out when is the right time to plant <clears throat> I, I generally recommend planting a little ahead of the the last frost date and then planting around the last frost date and if both of those get nailed plant again a couple of weeks after the last frost date and hope for the best but if you can if you can do this with seeds in the ground uh, and get a head start it's really good because you'll get some years where you think it's going to frost again and then it just doesn't and then other years where maybe you get a, a month of of warm weather and then a frost comes unexpectedly and kills everything. And you know, your 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 safe crops for that first period there are the are the cold crops. Like if you wanted to get earlier on, like a month before your last expected frost date, you can put out kale and cabbages and things like that that take some of the cold and they can kind of sail through it. You can bury your potatoes in the ground like a month before the last frost date and they'll be Start, they may not sprout up, but if they do sprout up and the tops freeze off, it's not that big a deal. They'll, they'll grow out of it and grow through it. So you can kind of get a little head start with some of those things. But, you know, in Florida when I was growing, if you planted too late uh, in North Florida, uh, you, you would just get stuff destroyed by bugs. So you miss your February planting window and you decide you're going to plant in March, you may or may not get a decent harvest. And if you wait until April, it's over. For a lot of stuff like if you wait until april to plant your corn it's probably too late it's amazing how hot it gets and how the bug problems just absolutely compound as it gets later and when it comes to fall gardening because in florida basically spring and fall were the two big times to plant 
fall gardening is difficult because you're trying to plant with enough time to harvest before that first frost hits but you're also trying to time it so you're not trying to start things in 90 degree heat like if you plant lettuces for fall and it's it's still in the 90s in September and you try to get your lettuces in so they're ripening up in late October um, it's not gonna work well it's terrible um, it's just it's hopeless so so that timing is important so planting at the right time is is really important especially when you're annual gardening now you can bypass a lot of this by doing a more perennial gardening and that that's why I always recommend about a 50 50 mix of annual to perennial at least uh, the annuals are really quick producers they are your sprinters they are your quick food in hard times they are the turn the lawn into a survival garden crop but your perennials are your long-term food security your perennials are your less work uh, your perennials are much more resistant to storms and rain and late frosts and early frosts and all that kind of stuff so you get your trees and you get your shrubs and your berry bushes and your vines and all that kind of stuff and and that is the the edges of your homestead the way I like to set a homestead up is the front yard is a food forest because you can you can kind of landscape it and make it look slick if you want to you can landscape a food forest you can just make a forest and put paths in between it can be very pretty or you can just let it be a wild system but it blocks your house from the view of the road which is kind of nice you don't have to look at the road and you don't have to look at your neighbors staring in your yard like that guy's so weird look at that weird house it's like so weird he's like he like lives in a jungle ew so yeah so you don't have to see that uh, and then your backyard is where you do your intense vegetable garden production I like that because the vegetable gardens are the obvious food and it's in the backyard and your less obvious food is in the front yard so you know that's that's the way I've arranged the last two homesteads that I've arranged and it's also the way I arranged the homesteads in the new Florida survival gardening book which is supposed to come out soon um, <clears throat> but if you plant at the right time for perennials that generally is spring and fall not midsummer and for fruit trees like I said the other day if you move fruit trees when they're completely dormant like they're asleep in winter you can you can almost yank a small fruit tree out of the ground with your hands I have actually yanked a tree out of the ground with my hands with like that much root left on it and then turned around and planted it again and had it wake up in the spring and do just fine but if I did the same thing in the middle of the summer the heat and the loss of water through the leaves and everything would kill it when you do it when it's totally dormant it's like it just fell asleep and woke up again you know um, so there's there's okay um, I'm just a couple and I put an email in here and a couple of things so I'm, I'm just approving a couple of these guys um, Let's see here. I'm gonna make sure. Anthony says I was reading more about junipers. Would it be better to just cut down all the junipers on my land and mulch them all, or save some for hosts for vines? Uh, it's not a bad idea to to keep some of them for living trellises. I think they're great for growing growing vines on. And also, I think um, I think having some some juniper berries, if your type actually makes the berries would be really nice for homemade gin so there is that but uh, juniper is a it's a it's quite a nice hard hard wood too usually there's there's multiple uses for it you may use some of it to fuel a rocket stove 
you know, you can mulch them if you want to, but I, I would probably keep a few for diversity. But and, and I also, if you had them and you, you, you pruned them, cut, cut down some of the center ones so you have them like 12 feet apart, you can run a string between two and run strings down and grow a set of cucumbers in between them or something. There's usually, there's usually a couple of uses, but if you really need the space, probably cut some of them down and plant some, um, you know, just plant some fruit trees instead. <clears throat> All right, so plant at the right time. So determine the right time, contact the local agricultural extension, find out when the right time is, and also make friends with other gardeners in your area, particularly older gardeners who have been growing for quite a while, and just pay attention to when they plant. That makes a big difference. Um, and plant when they plant. Now, the next thing, so put your garden near your house, plant the right plants, plant at the right time. And number four is make watering easy. I did not make watering easy in my new garden because it was a survival gardening, gardening thing, because they shut down the hardware stores when I wasn't done running all the plumbing, uh, because everything, the whole world went nuts. I have kind of an irritating garden to water and it has been so dry. We've had like three-eighths of an inch of rain in the last month probably, and it's just been constant breeze and hot days. And that is not good. That is not good. Um, and, it, and it means that in order to keep the gardens going, what I have to do is drag a hose around. Being a hose dragger is no way to go through life, son. Dragging a hose is a pain in the neck. So, I, my favorite way to irrigate a garden is to use standpipes. And I know that standpipes are not environmentally sensitive. They're not environmentally sensitive. You should be using drip irrigation, Davy G. Yes, I know. That's what everybody says. But drip irrigation is a pain in the neck and I don't like plumbing. Well, then you should have somebody give them to you. Somebody somebody should be a plumber. You should hire a plumber. I'm not going to hire a plumber because I'm a cheapskate, remember? And I'm hanging out with cheapskates. Overhead standpipe irrigation with a few rainbirds. You can just, boom, turn a crank, man. Make it rain. And it also, like, like I had a I had an overlapping system in my old, my old gardens. So I had a few... Like one, two, three going over the gardens, and they threw to about, it was like 40 or 60 feet or something like that. They would throw water, so I placed them. So there were some overlapping circles that would water the whole garden area, and all I had to do was turn it on. And I had a well back in, in North Florida, so if I wanted to water the gardens, man, boom, you just turn it on and make it rain. I didn't have to drag pipes around, and I didn't have to try and hoe around pipes. I did put in some drip hoses. I bought some drip hoses and I put some drip hoses in at one point and they were soaker hoses and so they would soak along the beds and stuff. And won't you know, man, the squirrels came and chewed holes in them? No. Come on. The other thing is, is if you have the drip irrigation, all the emitters get clogged. It's a pain in the neck. <clears throat> it's a pain in the neck to deal with. And if you are going around the garden and you're hoeing weeds, uh, you end up like knocking things around. You end up tripping over hoses. There's all kinds of stuff, man. <laughs> Raquel, Raquel says furiously Google standpipe irrigation. So what you're doing is you're putting a pipe in the ground and you're putting it at about maybe chest height or belly button height, and it's got a watering 
head on the top of it. So you got a rainbird sprinkler. Tack, 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 you know, it goes around. It's great. It's great. It's so easy. It um it allows you to to water an area quite quickly and not have to drag all the pipes around and put all the stuff together and everything. They say, you know, it's it's much less efficient, which may be the case, but I am not about maximum efficiency. I'm not a utilitarian necessarily when it comes to like how am I going to make the most efficient thing. If it's going to take me more time and trouble, I would rather have it be a little less efficient on on water. And I also kind of like the the rain effect that it makes. I think I think that that rain coming down and washing the dust off and stuff, if you do that in the morning, it's like a nice morning shower. I like that, you know. Um, it's cool. Food Bear says, is mesquite any good for hugo culture? I'm not a big fan of hugo culture in general, but any wood will rot down over time. Mesquite is a very, very hard wood, uh, and it would probably rot quite slowly. I would probably use it to for smoking or burning burning wood or make coals out of it. Um, but I, shoot, you need some wood, just use it. Uh, use it. You want to do a hugo culture? Do it. <coughs> Um, <laughs> so that's how you do it for standpipes. It's really easy, man. You just turn it on. And, and another, another benefit too, if you are going to be running irrigation, uh, with, with piping and individual emitters and drip lines and stuff through a garden, it, it kind of ties you to a garden shape, uh, unless you want to rerun all the pipes and stuff around so you you decide you're gonna make a four four foot wide bed and it's uh 35 feet long boom it's right through there and and so you run a you run a long pipe down the middle of it that's cool until you think you know what it might have been better if I ran this bed I should have run this ran this bed uh, north south instead of east west. I think that the way the sun's coming this way is probably better for me because that tree's over there. And then you're like, oh man, we've got to redo this whole thing. So redoing the entire thing is not fun. And also, maybe one year you're like, okay, I've got my four foot by thirty foot five foot bed, and there's another four foot by thirty five foot bed. But I want to join those two beds together and make one watermelon patch. So then, then you got to go and rerun the pipes. Some people naturally like fiddling. There is a personality type called nuts. I mean, phlegmatic. The phlegmatic personality type, I took the personality test. I took the personality test, you know, the four major personality types. Um, awesome, 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 and phlegmatic. I got awesome, awesome, and awesome, and I got zero phlegmatic, which, you know, is the reason that I, I don't like doing plumbing and I don't like working with, with engines and that sort of thing. I can, I can do it, but I want to fix it quickly. So, no, I'm, I'm kidding about phlegmatics. It's not awesome, 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 and phlegmatic. Phlegmatic personalities are what are the people that, that keep the actual world running. If you didn't have phlegmatic personality types, you wouldn't have hardly any inventions. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have probably all the running water, and, and you wouldn't have electricians. There are, there are very vital personality type 
but those are the people that like doing the plumbing and like planning systems. They, they're the people that will draw their entire garden out on graph paper or put it in Photoshop and move beds around and move plumbing around and mark out where every rain barrel is. And they'll do that for hours and hours and hours and they absolutely love it. That is the phlegmatic personality type. If that's your personality type, there's nothing wrong with using drip irrigation. Do it. Do it. The point I want to make is, is to make the watering easy. Don't make it so you have to go out there and drag a hose around. Don't have it. If you can run a faucet right to the edge of your garden so it's really easy to reach and just water with a hose, that's cool. But if you have to run a hose 50 feet to your garden, that's not cool. That's not good. If you don't want to do the plumbing, hire a plumber to put another faucet right by your gardens. I guarantee you, you'll be so happy that you spent that couple hundred bucks or whatever it costs to put a put it right next to your garden. And if you have a small garden, all you need is a lawn sprinkler. Just like that, you know, run it over the area. But I like the standpipes because standpipes are, are really easy. And, and PVC is really easy to work with. And it was simple enough that a friend and I could put the plumbing in for it in a very short period of time just by guesstimating. We, you know, we, we did things like we put the, we put the pipe and, and calculated how far the, each head would throw water. And then we just put them a little closer so they overlapped and you had a nice eight symbol running over the whole garden that covered everything. So... Plant Family says, I run a 150-foot hose at the moment. Well, you can fix that. I mean, if you fix it by running PVC, you can run PVC for a few bucks. Uh, you can run PVC all the way to that end, you know. Um, oh, I see. Bebelis says, I went to watch Composting Everything, the movie at Member Perks, but could not find out how. Uh, send me an email. I'll make sure I send you a link. It's... Um, I, I should repost it again to make it easy on you guys. It's in my, it's in my posts, but I'm again I'm not a phlegmatic and I'm not super technical. So if if something is not working, it's probably my fault. It's probably not your fault. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll figure it out. Uh, Scott says I use a lawn sprinkler and it covers my whole small garden, but it increases powdery mildew. Yeah, with some crops they don't like it. Um, but I, I found that watering in the morning, I didn't have much trouble. Watering in the evening is generally not recommended. <clears throat> so if you make the watering easy, you are going to have less trouble in your garden. So how not to kill your gardens? Put them near your house. Plant the right plants. Plant at the right time. Make watering easy. If the watering is easy, you're not going to put it off until tomorrow and then put it off until tomorrow. You're not going to be like, they don't look that wilted. See, if, if plants have regular water, they're going to thrive and do better. If they don't have regular water, you start to get drop-offs and the plants start giving up and you just don't get the good, sweet, healthy produce that you want. They start developing nutritional deficiencies and other things when they don't have water because it takes water flooding around the roots to feed the plants. So make watering easy. And now, here's the last one and perhaps the most controversial. Perhaps the most controversial of all of these points on how not to kill your gardens after this brief message. Hi, I'm David the Good, author of Compost Everything. If you haven't read my book, Compost Everything, there is a link below this live stream. Compost Everything will take your waste and turn it into food for your garden. It will turn almost everything organic into a great 
source of fertility, including logs, meat, paper, and your enemies. Compost Everything, the good guide to extreme composting, available at the link below on Amazon in audiobook, paperback, and ebook. Thank you very much. We're back on the live stream, How Not to Kill Your Gardens with David the Good. All right, good gardeners, welcome back. So here's the last one. Here's the controversial one. Do not purchase all the best garden amendments. Compost everything instead. See, I found out the hard way not to bring in amendments from the outside. There are multiple things that will kill your gardens. There are three things that will kill your gardens, yay four, which will lead to destruction. Manure, hay, straw, and manure. <laughs> Actually, uh, purchased compost. Purchased compost is also a big problem and sometimes purchased garden soil. I just got pictures from another person whose gardens had gotten wrecked. They bought compost for their gardens and they they applied it and they said a lot of it was from dairy farm compost etc and guess what all their gardens started dying people have told me that black cow manure purchased in the bags has hurt their gardens i don't know if you work with black cow let me know but if you're not testing for long-term herbicides your product is not safe somebody said i have a whole bunch of well-rotted sheep manure should I use it? No. Long-term herbicides are being sprayed on hayfields now since 2007. So almost all the gardeners are just totally looking over this and saying, put manure in your garden, put manure in your garden, put manure in your garden. Everybody knows manure is the great amendment for gardens. Stable bedding, composted stable bedding, straw bale gardening, rotten hay can be added to your compost. No, it can't. No, it shouldn't be. Not because there's anything wrong with manure or hay or stable bedding. What's wrong is big ag. What's wrong is they're spraying long-term persistent herbicides on this stuff and it will be eaten by the animals. So the animals eat the hay. If somebody purchases hay, somebody may tell you, my horses, my horses, I don't spray anything on our fields. They're just on natural pasture in our own fields. Their, their manure should be fine. Do they ever buy hay? If they buy hay, chances are the hay fields have been sprayed with this stuff. It's recommended over and over and over again by the friendly extension offices and the, the local universities. This is what you spray. This is what you put on your fields to make sure that you've gotten rid of broadleaf weeds and your animals can graze on it afterwards and they don't have any problems. But the molecules are very persistent. They go through into the manure. The manure kills your garden. So straw is coming from... Uh, fields that are often sprayed with all kinds of herbicides in order to kill the straw to harvest the grain, etc. So one of you guys pointed that out to me the other day. I'd forgotten all about that. But they'll spray down a grain field with uh, herbicides so they could harvest the grain. It's ridiculous. So, so don't buy that stuff. Don't bring in grass clippings from your neighbor because it might have weed and feed in it. If your neighbor's lawn is in bad shape, it's probably, they, 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 it would be safe, you know. Um... If you, if you, if you go and you get a big, you know, trailer of rotten straw or something and you spread it around your gardens, it may or may not kill your gardens. So I, I had somebody tell me just the other day, oh, I use horse manure for everything. I don't have any problem. Well, good for you. You're rolling the dice. 
and the dice are loaded because the, a lot of people are using it and it's being recommended over and over and over again. So this is, this is a bad problem. You know, what's up? Everything's fine? Yeah. All right. So I just want to make sure no kids were injured. Um, there was a lot of yelling and crashing around and stuff. Everything's fine. Uh, so, you know, if if you go and you get some, some rotten straw, it may be fine one time. If you get rotten manure, it might be fine one time until you say, no, it's good. I'm not going to worry about David the Good. David the Good's paranoid. I'm not paranoid. My plants tell me I'm not paranoid at all. Um, I, it's, it's, I'm not paranoid. What happened was is I lost over $1,000 worth of plants because I bought some manure and I spread it all over the place. And it, and it really set back my first food forest project. It set it back, parts of it back by a year or more. I had an entire hedge of blackberries that I planted. I purchased all these blackberries, $9 a pot. And I put in um, 30, 30 of them. And I spread uh, well-rotted composted cow manure around the base of all of them. And they all started crinkling up and twisting and they all eventually died. It took them a couple of years to die completely, but they never put on proper growth. They got all gnarled up. The the herbicide is systemic, meaning the plant takes it up and then it can't get rid of it. And it continues to just kind of twist the leaves and causes cell stacking function problems. So what you have to do to not kill your gardens is don't bring in manure. Don't bring in hay, don't bring in straw, don't buy compost because a lot of people are not paying any attention to this problem and these composting facilities are just processing all the stuff they've normally gotten. Like the world is just the way it was, you know, 15 years ago and it's not anymore. There's this long-term herbicide and all kinds of stuff, which is why people keep sending me pictures saying, hey, I purchased soil and, and this happened and then I did this and this happened. So in, in Gainesville, a bunch of my friends got nailed because they bought from a local guy who was selling gardening soil. So he had this nice composted mix stuff that he was making. And a bunch of people bought it for their gardens because they did a group buy. And guess what? Everybody's gardens had problems that year and, and died. And from what I heard, the guy went out of business. He didn't know. They didn't know. But now you know. So how not to kill your garden? Don't bring in outside amendments. So you might say, well, that's kind of crazy. Um... <clears throat> It, you know, that's kind of crazy. So, um, if you, if you are dealing with what's the upside, you know, what's the upside on gardening with, with purchased manure? Well, you get to have, uh, great gardens, but what's the downside? The entire garden could be destroyed, you know, tried. Hey, uh, seven. Yeah, knock yourself out, man. <laughs> oh, message retracted. All right, you can take it back. I, it's that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so what you want to do is you want to avoid, you want to avoid high risk activities for low reward. So the low reward is that your gardens get fed. Your gardens need to be fed every year, anyways. So what you do is you you are taking a high risk for a low reward, which is not what you should do. You should take low risks for high rewards. So if you wanna, if you wanna dodge, if you wanna dodge this kind of thing, just don't bring in purchased stuff. So what do you do? You have to do it yourself. You know, <clears throat> you guys are fake news. All right, Seven, go put some manure on your garden and you are gone.
because you're lying. And I don't I don't like liars on this channel. And you are gone. All right. So what what you want is you want low risk high reward. So your low risk is you make your own compost. There's nothing that's no risk. There's nothing in the world that's no risk. Um, you know, if, if you like, like I've had people tell me, what if I put, you know, cardboard, is that safe to put in the compost? Or what are you, um, what are you, what, what do you think about, uh, chemtrails? You know, they're, they're spraying stuff in the sky. Look at these are these are outside events. I have if if this is happening, if there's glue in the cardboard, that's a, that's a minor minor thing, right? I've never had any of my plants killed by composting cardboard. And somebody said, what about coffee grounds? Coffee grounds have pesticides in them. Yes, coffee grounds have pesticides in them, but I've never had my my gardens wiped out by the pesticides in coffee grounds. So I would call that a very low risk. You know, it's a very low risk. It's not a big deal. So. Uh, uh, if I find out, however, that, it, that coffee grounds, you know, are really high in arsenic and, and I have been bringing in buckets of coffee grounds from the local espresso place, well, I'm going to stop. If, if I know that it's a high risk for low reward, like the, the low amount of extra benefit to my garden is overshadowed by the high risk of arsenic poisoning, well, that's no good, you know, um, so, so what happens, what, what you want to do is make your own compost and make your own amendments as much as possible. So you skip the high risk, low reward, and you replace it with, with high reward, low risk. Now it's going to take more time and it's really a pain in the neck. To, to produce enough compost. It's way easier to just go pay 60 bucks for a load of manure, but if the manure destroys your entire garden, that's no cool. Um, Danny M says, my new neighbor is spraying broadleaf poison. How can I protect my garden? The giant fan doesn't have a long enough cord. I would talk to your neighbor right away. First, the first line of defense is to be a good neighbor and to go over and talk to them. Bring them a gift first. Don't immediately go over there and say, stop spraying poison. Um, if you have something from your garden, you can bring them, bring it to them. If you can bake them some pumpkin bread and bring them to them, do that. That was my mom's method. My mom baked pumpkin bread for everybody in the neighborhood, and they knew her as the lady that baked pumpkin bread. So anytime some kid in the neighborhood caused trouble or something like that, it wasn't like mom was just some face out of the blue that showed up to start a confrontation. It was, it was an easy, you know, it was an easy entry because they're like, oh gosh, we're sorry, we didn't know he was throwing rocks at your back window or whatever. So that's the first thing. And the second thing to do is, um, <clears throat> the second thing to do is to, to, you know, to talk to them. So first of all, you make friends with them as best as you can and then talk to them. Hopefully you're not too accusatory when you first start. A lot of people are doing stuff that they've always been doing because they, they just are not, they're not thoughtful about it. Um, and I don't know that putting a fan at the edge of the property is really gonna, that, do that much anyways but you could tell them you're you're growing gardens and you're a little concerned about it and then if they're not going to listen to you then the next thing you probably need to do is put some sort of physical barrier up that's that's you know that's an expensive way to deal with it but but sometimes you just can't deal with a recalcitrant neighbor so it's bad it's bad you know um 
Chachaquila says, Dave, I'm hesitant to ever compost any of the nightshades because of fungus issues. What's your experience with this? Thanks. I compost them all because I believe that uh, composting generally deals with most, most microorganism issues. Now, if you're worried about spreading fungi or fungal diseases and stuff from tomatoes to the next year's tomatoes, I can understand that. Uh, I generally just just throw everything in my compost pile, but this year, because I was trying to grow tomatoes, I quit throwing the tomatoes into it, and instead I throw the tomatoes around the base to, of my uh, mandarin tree to rot down. So if you have any other uh, varieties of plants, like you're going to grow corn, you can compost your tomatoes under the corn, uh, you know, but, but probably best is to keep them out of the annual garden and throw them into some perennials where they can rot down um, because they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna carry over the same diseases to say a mandarin tree you know um, so <laughs> Raquel says I accidentally started a huge new compost pile it's probably 80% grass clippings that should still make good compost right yes definitely Joe's garden says is mushroom compost safe I don't think so I don't um, Mushrooms can eat just about anything, and I do believe that they're feeding them straw and other byproducts of industrial agriculture. I wouldn't trust it. I love mushroom compost. I used to buy it, um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um. <clears throat> wow. Unsalted Tomato says, I attained some rabbit manure from a friend. I watched David the Good, so I transplanted a pepper into a pot mixed with it. So you tested it, like I told you. That twisted pepper tells me I can't use the manure. See, if it's coming, if they're buying Timothy hay or whatever else and they're eating it, it goes through in the manure, boom. There you go. It's so stupid. It's so stupid that we even have to worry about it. But I mean, on the upside, the reason I wrote compost everything was because I got hit with this load of bad manure and it was a big problem. And so that big problem made me come up with workarounds, you know? So the workarounds ended up becoming the fuel for a book. So you sometimes see how things, you know, what what was initially a bad thing, me losing a thousand, a thousand bucks or so worth of plants, ended up launching multiple books and launching most of my writing career. So there you go. Um, it's it's a. <clears throat> <laughs> Odd Rob says, my compost pile is full of spiders and centipedes. Is that a bad sign? No, that is a good sign. That is a good sign. That is a healthy ecosystem. So your compost pile has bugs in it. Bugs are primary decomposers. So the the centipedes are in there chewing up the material and they're, they're probably, the centipedes are generally hunting, but they're leaving manure in there. So the centipedes are in there and they're hunting and they're chewing and they're doing all their thing. Um, and the spiders are in there hunting and chewing and manuring. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be hunting other bugs inside of there, but bugs in the compost pile are a good thing. They're they're turning it up, they're moving it around, they've got an ecosystem going, and so that that's breaking it down. Basically, look, if you put a big pile of stuff out there, it will attract food. Uh, it'll attract it'll, it's food that will attract animals. So it's like shh, everything wants to come in and eat it and chew it and turn it up. You know, people say I've got these grubs in my compost pile, should I throw it out? No. I got mold in my compost pile. Should I throw it out? No. I have I have a anaconda in my compost pile. Should I throw it out? No. You should run. Um, there generally, if you if you have the food, it brings the animals. The animals chew it up. Usually, micro wildlife is in the compost, and it's turning it over. And you get a huge amount of biological activity, which ends in the humus, which they don't want to eat anymore. And it's good for the plants. Um, <clears throat> 
Sirhead says, what does it mean when tomatoes come up with thin leaves, not twisted, not curled up, but just way too thin, too close together? Not enough nitrogen? <sighs> Possibly. Sometimes it can be stress. Sometimes it can be um, cheap potting soil. Cheap potting soil can starve them. If you have better potting soil, they tend to do better. So, so what I would probably do is make a little compost tea and water them with it, or dilute some urine and water them with that uh, to, to get them to get them moving. And a lot of the times, the you know, uh, it, it can also be that the the seeds were old, and so they're having a little bit of germination issue. If there's not enough food in the seed itself, it can it can end up with weak plants. But there are also varieties of tomatoes that make weak little spindly plants until they get rolling. Some of them are really tricky because they start out kind of weak and spindly and feathery, and then they start to grow and become more vigorous as they get older. So, thank you for the super chat. Much appreciated. <clears throat> Ev says mushroom compost is safe for lawns and corn. Yes, amino pyrrolids are not going to hurt your corn. Amino pyrrolids are made for hay. Uh, so they're made for pasture, which means that when you grow corn on them, no problem. You grow lawn on it, no problem. It's the all the broadleaf stuff. It's the, the dicots that mostly end up murdered by it, which is most of your garden plants. So when I had my gardens get hit, I grew corn and grains on some of the beds, and then I chopped the corn and the grains down when they had grown, and I threw them into a back corner of the yard. Tex-Mex Gardener says, if you buy hay from the farmer, just ask him if they use Grazon. I help on a hay farm, and the only chemicals they use are fertilizer and rarely round up on throwaways. That's good. Yeah, if, if they don't use any Grazon, and they have not used Grazon for at least a couple of years, it's safe. That, that's great if you can find it. Um, Laura says, my tiny corn plant had a swarm of small black ants on it this afternoon. Should I be concerned? Not concerned so much about the ants, but concerned about the aphids they may be tending or scale insects. Uh, sometimes they're tending them inside of the corn, and they can they can be a problem. They can look for them feeding or caring for anything. Yes, obviously Brondo has what plants craze, because Brondo has electrolytes. Hugh says, I don't know why I want to eat corn that sucked up amino pyrrolids. No, probably not. Um, I tried to get my, watch, my wife to watch... Uh, Idiocracy with me and she started watching it. She's like this is too stupid for me to watch and I'm like that's the point. That's why it's so brilliant <laughs> So <clears throat> Oh my gosh Sir Hat says I mean I have five good plants, which is all I need I still have canned tomatoes from two years ago, but I planted hundreds of seeds and got maybe ten usable plants yeah, that's probably bad seed or old seed or seed that is that was not not well stored. Um, if there have been temperature swings, if they were not stored properly, or if it's just a bad batch. Sometimes seeds are bad batches. Quite possible. Hey, mom. There's my my mom's here, guys. Everybody, be on your best behavior. Um, <laughs> Bridgewater Ambition says, I used to watch Idiocracy for fun. It is frightening now as I realize it was actually a prophecy. Yeah, I didn't expect it to happen in like two years. <laughs> it was a lot faster than I expected. Dude, are you tarted or something? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> what's he saying? He goes, I mean, there's no judgment. I mean, my, my girlfriend was tarted. She's a pilot now. Yeah. <clears throat> 
What in God's name is that noise? That is parrots. All that noise is parrots. The, the parrots are flying back over the mountains right now. I don't know where they roost at night, but there's a huge amount of parrots flying around at night. And actually the parrots in my area were released from a local zoo. And they're not supposed to be here. And now there's, there's like zillions of them. They, they're not a native parrot. It's pretty funny. Of all the things. Um, oh, Chip says, is slime mold good for my garden or bad? It's good for your garden. It breaks down organic matter if you have slime mold. Slime mold is really awesome. Look up the life cycle of slime mold sometime. Totally fascinating. It's, it's like better than the Kardashians. Um, so slime mold will break stuff down. Generally it doesn't hurt the plants and it leaves the soil a little fertile, uh, more fertile afterwards than it was before. Um, <clears throat> Ed says, should I store seeds in the refrigerator? Yes. Make sure that they're quite dry first. Like, let them dry out at, uh, you know, in a good dry spot for a while. Or if you have a dehydrator, set your dehydrator at, like, 95 degrees and run it for a half an hour or so. That's not too, that's not long enough to hurt them, but it'll get them drier. And then, then put them in a sealed baggie or a sealed jar or a sealed, like, those little medicine bottles. If you know anybody that takes a lot of drugs, those old medicine bottles are great for that. Um, test tubes work well too and then you put your seeds in them and label them and stick them in the refrigerator anywhere some people dry them down further and put them in the freezer and keep them a long way that ways but I don't really trust it because my relative humidity is so high here in the tropics that I think I'm, I'm likely to kill the seeds that way you don't want any water crystals in there freezing and breaking cell walls but if the the two things that keep seeds make seeds deteriorate are heat and moisture Warm temperatures with high humidity, seeds burn out really quick. They wear out really quick, like like months sometimes. I had beans and I saved them for six months on a counter and they were dead after six months in the tropics. Whereas down in, you know, when I had air conditioning in Florida, I could keep them on a counter for a, a year or more. I would just keep them till the next year sitting on my shelf, my bookshelf, and no problem. But I really realized that I need to store more stuff in the fridge when I moved to the tropics. So if you have generally cool, dry conditions where you live, um, your seeds are going to be fine just sitting around at room temperature. If you don't, if you have highly humid conditions, but it's cool, that's not that bad, but it's not that good. If you have it, you know, really hot, but it's dry, that's not super bad, but it's not very good. Uh, what you really want is low humidity and low temperatures, and that's that's why you dry them out and you put them in the refrigerator in a sealed container so they don't soak, soak up the moisture. Uh, Jason says, here's an interesting tidbit. The standard white restaurant mushrooms, portobellas, pipolinis, and criminis are all grown on manure and they will slurp up that persistent herbicide if it's there. Well, just that's just nasty. There we go. <clears throat> Brett says, David the Good going to be planting out katuk cuttings on my property for natural fencing. How far apart do you recommend planting them for a nice thick natural fence line? Katuk is a little is a little thin, so I would probably plant them about a cubit apart. I would plant them about a cubit apart and let them grow together that way. They tend they tend to be kind of feathery and spready. Uh, I would I'd probably go go close. It's me. SRD says moringa trees in Zone Nine, Central Louisiana. Yes. Uh, look up on my website, thesurvivalgardener.com, on protecting moringas from frost and see how I put rings around them and filled them full of leaves. 
that that works really well for the winter if you can save the stump of them you cut the top off and you save the stump by protecting it hey Javier good afternoon Ecocentric Homestead says, I tell people that if all your food comes from the grocery store, every mouthful is laced with poison. Yeah. Good luck with the corn, Laura. <clears throat> uh, Laura says, do I need to dry my Moringa seed pod before trying to plant them? I've never had a seed pod of my very own before. I usually buy them dried at my local farmer's market. Yeah, let the Moringa seed pod dry on the tree so it, it hits ripeness. When it's dry on the tree and it's and it's all brown on the outside, it'll just crack off in your hand very easily, and they usually split apart pretty easily too. Once it turns all the way brown, it's ready, and you can you can crack it off. I know someone that takes a lot of drugs. He eats the medicine bottles. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Drew says, I have gallons and gallons of Dave's fetid swamp water from my decomposing weeds. Thanks for the idea. Well, you're very welcome. <clears throat> yeah, Scott says at Derek, uh, at this point, the chemical fertilizers are less toxic for the short run. Yes, I agree. A lot of the organic amendments are now very, very contaminated, which is just horrible. You're safer off getting something from a laboratory. Oh, it's crazy. It's just, it's just nuts. Derek says, what store-bought fertilizer brands would you recommend for less likely toxicity? I've got more to plant than I can make compost and homemade beginning soil amendments for. I've heard very good things about Dynagro. Uh, Dynagro is used by a hydroponics grower and uh, and people that grow various bud man. Um, the Dynagro is supposed to be really excellent, and it's and it's and it's like a pure mix of various micronutrients. I've heard good things about Dynagro. Have not tried it myself because I don't have it locally. I've used kind of a Miracle Grow knockoff, and it's worked pretty well. Uh, Miracle Grow works fine. Uh, <clears throat> the bagged, regular bagged chemical fertilizers should be fine, like 10, 10, 10, and that kind of stuff. But um, they're not my favorite. Uh, if you can get, like, if you can get Neptune's Harvest or other fish emulsion or seaweed emulsions, those are really good. A lot of micronutrients in them and, and a better organic mix. Indy Canada says, what makes Hawaii Kona beans better quality coffee beans? Soil or the genetics of Arabica bean? Are plant genetics improved in better soil slash climate? So m multiple questions there. <clears throat> um, my understanding is that the Kona beans are a breed as well as being Arabica. And they are also being grown in a very specific, excellent climate for coffee. So you have both improved cultivars along with... Uh, improved conditions. So it's both. Um, Arabica bean genetics vary to a certain extent. I just dug up a whole bunch of Arabicas from a little coffee place that I'm going to be planting out. They're all sitting in little pots right now. Uh, are plant genetics improved in better soil and climate? No. The potential of the genetics is able to reach its top potential. So let's say, you know, both of my parents were short. If both of my parents were short, um, the chances of me being tall are much lower than if both of my parents were tall. Maybe genetically, my maximum height, if the genetic blueprint in every cell of my body was, if I had the best nutrition, the best upbringing and everything, maybe my maximum height would be five foot eight. 
are about four Rogans tall. So five foot eight might be my maximum height. However, when I was a kid, uh, I didn't I didn't eat my Wheaties, or I actually did eat my Wheaties, and it dwarfed me. Uh, maybe I didn't get enough good protein. Maybe I drank a lot of soda. Maybe my parents didn't feed me often enough. Maybe I grew up in a in a third world country and I didn't get enough iodine and I didn't get enough protein or whatever else. So my I might I might tap out at five foot six. I have the potential for five foot eight. Genetically speaking, that's my capacity. But what I actually reach is less because of environmental conditions. So there's a combination going on here of nature and nurture when you're talking about coffee plants or any other any other plant. So you'll see two gardeners could grow seeds from the same packet. Um, <clears throat> if you are growing, if you are, if one person is growing them and they're an amateur and they're not very good or they don't bother improving the soil very much and they plant broccoli seeds, they might get broccoli heads that are this big. A gardener who's really good, like if you gave the same broccoli seeds to Steve Solomon, Steve Solomon plants his garden and he gets broccoli heads that are this big. And he gives them wider spacing. Maybe you planted the broccoli this far apart, he plants them like this far apart. I mean, Steve Solomon uses wide spacing because he used to do seed trials for a territorial seed company back when he owned it. And he learned really quickly that plants reach their maximum potential when they're not crowded and when they're given ideal uh, amounts of space and water, etc. So to grow a plant to its full genetic potential, you give it plenty of space, plenty of water, the highest fertility possible, keep the weeds down, and then you get really big, healthy, happy broccoli instead of little weedy, sick-looking broccoli. So, so when it comes to plant breeding or Kona coffee or whatever else, you have two things going on. You have, you have the genetics of the plant, and you have, you have the capacity, and then you have how it was raised. You could have a capacity of 12 ounces, but if you don't fill that 12 ounces all the way with beer, you don't have 12 ounces. It's not full. It's not all the way it is. So, <clears throat> Biblis says, know anything about Southern brand 101010 sold to Tractor Supply? No, it's it's pretty common. I've seen the I've watched the Southern uh, fertilizer distribution place dumping fertilizers. I watched them sitting at a gas station dumping fertilizers into this big thing it was kind of cool to see but I don't really know anything about it but if if commercial farmers are using it it's not going to kill your plants uh, let's see Archenema says, a guy just got the boot for lying about fertilizer, but it seems to be okay for everyone to lie about how awful corn is for the human body. I should do an interview with you so you can share all your thoughts on corn. I will share you all your thoughts on corn, on infertility and corn. Um, you can find my books on Amazon if you look for David the Good. And I do not recommend using black cow anymore because they have not given good answers on whether or not they are getting manure contaminated with amino pyrrolates. And I've had a few people write me and say they had plants get ill from it. So I don't recommend it anymore. <clears throat> Finka says Steve Solomon just thinks about broccoli and it appears in his fridge. That's just about it. <laughs> <clears throat> 
He says, I've had miserable results with cauliflower and broccoli. I finally stopped torturing myself. Well, like I said, um, when we were going through how not to kill your gardens today, plant the right plants. If they don't do well for you, don't do them anymore. Do something else. It, and I'm trying Chinese kale this year, which is basically like a wilder form of broccoli that's been bred for big leaves and kind of loose heads. And it's it's really good, and it's done much better than the, the more cultivated broccoli that I tried. And it has a nice broccoli flavor. So... Um, Finka says I've used the sure crop 18, 18, 18 plants love it Josh says I put 10 pounds of the TSC 10, 10, 10 on my field just a light amount seems fine so far, far. smells bad I kind of like that fertilizer smell <laughs> I kind of like the smell of gasoline too so um Stay with you said, I ate very bad as a child, but went big. I ate yogurt, but not enough calories and was always thin, but became 194, 194 big. <clears throat> I'd rather share my thoughts on how horrible cilantro is. I'm not going to ban you. I'm not going to ban you for, for saying you don't think corn is a good food. You're very likely right. Um, and I don't mind people sharing their opinions. What I do mind is when somebody comes in and they're like, you're spreading fear. You're giving us fake news. When I literally had my gardens destroyed by spreading manure on it, I have people writing me every day. I don't know who the heck you are, but you're an idiot. You just don't show up on, uh, on an expert's stream and start telling them that they don't know what they're talking about and that they're spreading fake news on, unless you know better and you don't know better because this is a huge problem. Some of the bigger gardens on YouTube, gardeners are realizing that this is a big problem and they're sharing it. So there's no problem. I, I don't care if somebody has a debate even over, uh, you know, I don't a debate over which meat is the best to eat. Now, if you had a debate that veganism was the best way to go, well, I'll ban you. But but an argument over which bacon brand is the best. God bless you. You just go for it, boys. You just enjoy yourself out there. I'm OK with that. Um. <laughs> Tex-Mex Gardener says, my wife says, if you like the smell of gasoline, it means you're anemic. I don't know. <laughs> Did Joel come in? Joel Karsten. <laughs> there are opinions and there are facts. The closer we get to the facts, the better. <clears throat> and I, I like a good debate. Um, you know, I enjoyed putting up the why I'm not deep mulching my garden video. It was great because people sent me all kinds of resources on why I should mulch my gardens deeper. So I had lots of reading material. I, just, I didn't have, I don't need philosophical attachment to whether or not we have deep mulch or not. I'm going to test it all. It's fun. Um, but, but when I did it, the reason I, the reason I didn't deep mulch was because I didn't have access to materials and because I needed to get a survival garden in. So I grew with a method that I knew would get me food right away without me spending a month trying to gather materials, you know. So, <clears throat> great greetings from the Canary Islands. All right, cool. Organic Gardening in North Carolina says, as I told you earlier, I'm pretty sure I killed my whole raspberry patch by using straw from the bunny pen last fall. Not one of my raspberry plants survived. Yeah, see, that's not natural. When somebody says, oh, you just don't know what you're doing, you're not a good gardener, or whatever else. No, a lot of people are going to think, I made some sort of, I must have not watered them, or maybe I gave them too much nitrogen or something. No, they were killed by big ag. They weren't killed by you. You didn't know. 
You didn't know. Jason says, too much reliance on carbohydrates for calories is probably not healthy in the long term, but those nut trees take some time to get going. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of a high-protein, high-fat diet. Definitely has helped me stay healthy. Um, I didn't say you should be huffing gasoline, man. Crazy. Hugh says, um, my objection to eating corn is it is much better used to make whiskey. And see, now this is the sort of input that I like to hear. This is truth. This is not fake news. I would much rather drink whiskey than eat any kind of corn, except maybe corn chips. If, if I have corn chips and cheese dip, you know, if you, if you take, <laughs> I'm going to give you a college trick here. You get, a, you get a jar of salsa and you get like one cup of, of Velveeta and you pour in about half the jar of salsa to the Velveeta and then you add some, some hot sauce from the fridge, like whatever you have. A little hotter is better. And you sprinkle in some paprika and you sprinkle in some garlic powder and you put a little cumin in it. Cumin is the secret sauce because it has this meaty flavor to it. And then you put that in the microwave and you kind of mash it until it starts to coagulate and clump and then it starts to decoagulate and become like a slick a slick mess. And then you pour a little milk in it because the milk kind of thins it out a little bit, gives it that Mexican restaurant level. Then you stir all that, that Velveeta and stuff down. You have to like microwave for a couple of minutes. You don't want to burn it or get it crispy around the edges. You want to nuke it for a bit and stir it and then nuke it and stir it. That, that is some serious cheese dip. You can watch Mystery Science Theater with a big bowl of that stuff and an entire bag of corn chips and you will have a good time especially if you have some Jim Beam white label to wash it down right from the bottle yeah <laughs> I haven't had Velveeta in forever and ever um, because I'm a very good person and I like to virtue signal about how many vegetables I eat no um, <laughs> I love junk food, but it's really funny. <laughs> I, I don't eat very much junk food. I don't have access to it, and I, I know I'm not supposed to eat it. But I'll tell you what, man. If you gave me a bag of, like, cheese doodles, I could sit and eat that entire bag. The reason I uh, I stay lean and healthy is because I, I don't buy these things. And I'll tell you, living living way outside of the United States is a big, big help. When I go to the grocery here... I can't get any of that junk food at any kind of an affordable price. Anyways, so like, like I can end up paying, paying a big chunk of money to go buy Velveeta because it's an expensive import, whereas I can eat bananas for next to nothing. So it's bananas. I, I should mash bananas with some salsa and make a banana. No, probably not. It'd be nasty. Hmm. Cumin is, yeah, cumin makes it work. <laughs> Natasha says, LOL, I stepped away to talk to my kids, and now I'm wondering where this is going. <laughs> We're going to need a whole stream dedicated to Dave's cheese dip. Velveeta melts better than real cheese, but in a pinch, you can take multiple slices of American cheese and unwrap the individual slices and chop them into chunks and mix them with salsa and melt them down. College food recipes. New book idea? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
Scott says, I'm a Philistine because I eat Velveeta and American cheese. Yeah, American cheese and olive loaf on 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 white bread with with yellow mustard and uh, and Cool Whip. <laughs> I'm gonna die. Yeah, pork rinds we can get. <laughs> Tex Mex Gardner, cumin and white people are a dangerous combination. Quote from one of my culinary school instructors: They use too much. Yeah, a little pinch of cumin makes makes a big difference. Too much cumin is like, ugh, oh boy, it's too much. Oh, organic gardening in North Carolina says one time I ate a lot of ice cream and Cheetos. Then I went out and had a tree fall on my head, so I had to get airlifted to the hospital. <laughs> And they had to pump my stomach out before surgery. I imagine the people pumping his stomach are like, My gosh! What is wrong with you? Nasty! Coronavirus symptoms are the same as a good whiskey hangover. I'm starting to think coronavirus is a whiskey hangover. <laughs> Finka says, I used to make my own cheese in jail by, from spoiling milk and adding chili seasoning from ramen soup. Wow. Ah, uh, jail food. There's a good one. That's awesome. So, if you guys have any more gardening questions, we can run a couple more gardening questions. Um, I wanted to tell you, uh, the internet has obviously been a problem. And, you know, let me see. See if you can see this here. I think I'll, I'll see if I can get the view. So, right now... I am up on a ridge. This is the pathway that my kids cut. I am on a mountain ridge in the middle of nowhere using my phone to access. Um, there's a tower right over there and there's a tower right over there. So this is the only way I can get decent internet at the moment. And so Quite a few of you guys have stepped in and said things like, I should get a booster, and I should figure out how to get it to the house. It's, it's very difficult. Nothing is easy. <clears throat> um, the United States is a very, very convenient place to be. It's incredibly convenient. This is, this is, um, this is not convenient. Uh, Josh, the triangle hoe. Is better for breaking up the clods but you should wait until after it rains it's really hard um, the Tennessee clay is really tough when it's not rained for a bit so here I am up on the mountain <clears throat> tomorrow multiple of you guys have have donated super chats towards you know here here this is for some bandwidth this is for some bandwidth so I'm, I'm running this these live streams right through my phone on my laptop uh, you know what let me show you this I'll show you how I'm doing this. This is kind of cool. So, right here, that is it. What? Oh my gosh, it's like infinite. Whoa! Whoa! Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Okay, so, anyhow, that's the way we're doing it right now. And my, my son made me the little table and the little chair that I'm sitting on. And, wow, that is so weird, isn't it? <clears throat> Anyhow, I, I wanted you guys to, to see how this thing is working. 
because I'm going to try and fix it because the rainy season is coming. I don't know what kind of a workaround I can find to get decent internet, but it's obvious I have to do better at it so I can do better videos and I can be around you guys. And I have all the the subscribers over at unauthorized.tv. Unauthorized.tv is being switched servers. The servers are being switched right now and I put stuff up there that's only for subscribers over there and that's a way to support. Um, it's basically, it's a subscription thing and so I put free stuff up there but also it's uh, it's five bucks a month but I have not done well at keeping it up because some of my videos like the long instructionals they're they're like two two gigs and my data plan does not support that that gets really painful really quickly um, and and I, I just you know running that through a cell phone is kind of crazy so yep I'm on a MacBook and the reason I'm on a MacBook is because I use Pro Tools and Adobe Creative Suite uh, for a lot of stuff, and I use Final Cut for my editing. So basically, I've gotten stuck in the Mac walled garden. I had a Linux computer with um, OpenOffice, um, and that was what I used for my writing for a while. But I just have I have uh, LibreOffice on my my Mac. <clears throat> but this is the old MacBook. This is the 2015 version because they, they changed the keyboard and I find it really annoying. So I could do a podcast on an as-needed basis, but it's uh, it's more fun to just talk to you guys. Um, I mean, I could I guess I could do that. I, I've never really figured out the economics of podcasts or how that, you know, how that flows or flies. So, you know, I... I I don't like the new Macs. I find them very irritating. I really, really find the... I like a clicky keyboard with a little more juice to it. Um, I am in the tropics, so I am in, like, the infinite whatever equatorial zone is. So it, it never freezes. It never... There is no winter. There is no season. The only season is dry or wet. So, anyhow, what I'm telling you guys is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and start dealing with this internet situation tomorrow. I'm going to see if I can get a hold of a, a tech guy. I have to call somebody to get his number again because it was on my old phone. But there was a tech guy who knew a ton of stuff. And I'm going to see if I can find him again and say, Look at man, can you figure out how to get me internet that actually works so I can really connect with people? Because, you know, people write me and say, Hey, could you do a property analysis on my land I'll do a Skype call with you or something like that and I'm, and I'm always saying I it's really hard for me to do that because there's only a limited amount of time I want to be sitting up on the top of the mountain and when the rainy season starts as soon as it starts raining there's no way I'm going to be able to do this I can only do this because there's like no rain for weeks and it's safe so <clears throat> um Hugh says, uh, D to the G, get a topo map. Figure out if you can get line of sight to a cell tower. You might have to switch providers to one that has a tower you can hit. Yeah, I have no line of sight to any tower because I live in a valley. And so the way it works is um, I'm between two mountain ridges. And this mountain ridge has houses on it but no tower. This mountain ridge is where I'm sitting right now and it has no houses on it. And on the other side of this mountain ridge is the towers down further. They're a little down. Like I can see them on like another ridge that's another some miles over there. So my house is like right there most of the way down. 
uh, valley side, maybe two thirds of the way down the mountainside. And so, so the, the space is just really not, it's just poor. And, and so if somebody sends me a text or something, I can get it, but it blips in and out. So like somebody I'm working with <clears throat> said, I don't really understand what's going on now. You, you can get Skype messages from me, but you have to go up the hill to actually talk. I'm like, yeah, that's the way it works. Like every once in a while to go blip, you got a message, but it could have been from 10 minutes earlier. Like it comes and goes. Sometimes the cloud cover changes and I suddenly get internet on my phone down at the house. So <clears throat> there's no, and there's no good, um, there's no good wire running down the road. And the company that was going to put a wire down the road argued with us for like two years about, they kept saying they were going to do it and saying they were going to do it and saying they were going to do it. And they never did back when I was first renting on this road. So it was just kind of crazy. <clears throat> Evan Sullivan Richdell says, will you ever be able to stream from your house? Yes, I hope so. That's what we're going to try and fix. And I'm going to start calling people tomorrow and seeing because it doesn't make sense not to take some of this super chat revenue and then buy a solution. Because multiple people have said, just go buy a solution. Here's a few bucks. Here's a few bucks. Here's a few bucks. And if I could buy a solution, I could do this much, much more easily and regularly. And I could do it later in the evening sometimes or earlier in the day or whatever. So... <clears throat> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Scott says, more geography data for my latest hobby, locate D to the G on Google Earth. That's funny. <laughs> I might have to build my own tower. Yeah, thought about it. I actually thought, you know, I could just, there's nobody that's on this ridge. I can't even figure out who owns it. I asked people around here, who owns the ridge? And nobody knows. But that's the way a lot of things are here. It's just bush and nobody knows who owns it and so trying to determine you know if you could build a tower on it if i could build a tower up here i could beam it down to the house you know <clears throat> plug into a landline from one of the trees good idea <laughs> thank you danny danny says a five dollar super chat international call funds much appreciated thank you very much um it's i get enough in super chats to the streams to make it worth doing uh, but it would be it would be way cooler if I could get you know the decent internet at the house. So that's that's a goal right now. It's a goal. We're gonna try and figure it out. <clears throat> Jason says we use the Landsat during live streams. Looking for that hat. <laughs> that's funny. Ed says I hope you have title insurance. I have no idea. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> Evan says, "LOL, everyone just starts funding for David to get internet at his house. Yeah, everybody just, everybody just throw in twenty bucks. We'll, uh, we'll have it. I'll have it tomorrow. No, I don't know that it's that easy. Things don't really work that easily here. It helps to have money, but it doesn't always guarantee anything. Sometimes there's just you just can't talk things into happening. Everything is happening manana, you know, manana, manana. It's it's gonna happen some point, but you never know when, you know." <coughs> Um, one of these days. Yeah, 5G. 5G's the devil, man. It's literally the devil. So, anyhow, guys, um, kind of running out of light here, but if anybody has any more gardening questions you want to ask, I will answer them. I hope that, you know, we ran a lot past the presentation I was planning on. I figured, I don't really want to leave you guys. How not to kill your gardens. So you remember the five points. Put your garden near your house. Plant the right plants. Plant at the right time, make watering easy, and do not purchase most amendments. Compost everything instead. 
Um, the book Compost Everything has a bazillion ideas on how to compost. Multiple people here own it and can tell you that it's useful. It will change the way you think about composting. And you're not going to be relying on compost from outside, you know, buying compost that may be corrupted with biosolids or arsenic or, or you know, toxic manure or whatever else. I didn't write the book because I wanted to write the book to begin with. I wrote the book because I was forced into composting everything because I didn't want to let any fertility go through my yard, but I didn't want to go purchase stuff that might poison the garden. So there you go. <clears throat> um, I don't remember where you are. It's me, SRD. That's, you're in zone nine Pro uh, maybe maybe not I, my my moringa trees did not make seeds north of ocala but other people's did it seems like they got to be stressed <coughs> ed says start a fund for david to bribe the officials to run the wire you're, you're not far off uh joe's garden says you need to give up and come back to florida no you guys have pete canaris now you don't need me you've got pete canaris uh, Kelly says, will fetid swamp water be enough to save a struggling orchard in the dry tropics? <clears throat> um, fertigation is very useful for getting getting trees through tough times. Well, probably what I would do if I, was, if I had a struggling system is I would try to, and, and I didn't have enough water, I would try to grow as much biomass crops as possible in between. So you grow, you know, vetiver grass or Sudan grass. Um grow elephant grass or whatever in bands and I would grow bananas in between and I would grow Tithonia diversifolia in between I would grow Gluricidia sepium in between I would grow all that kind of stuff in between and use it for chop and drop anytime that there's a rain event and the, and the ground gets soaked so it holds the water around the plants because the extra organic matter is going to help hold that water in there it's going to be good um so if you do that, uh, that helps some. Another thing you can do is, is try to direct water through the system. If you have a little bit of a slope, put swales in it so the water catches and soaks in slowly and catches and soaks in slowly. Very useful. Um, but your, your fertigating is good. If you, can, if you irrigate with a little bit of fertilizer in the irrigation every time you irrigate it does better than if you just use water it will actually give the plant a little more help and allow them to be a little more vigorous it takes less water if you have more food a little bit a little bit of food in the water uh when he says what do you think of using diatomaceous earth for pests near the plants i found that it worked pretty well knocking out the flies in the chicken coop when i did it so um <clears throat> Well, thank you, Carolyn. I appreciate it. Hello from Cape Town. It's getting late in Cape Town, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the Happy Gardener says, I tried composting my mother-in-law, but she kept, keeps crawling out of the hole. It's important to cover with enough carbon. Unsalted Tomato says, any tips on pawpaw from seed? Yes. Uh, put the pawpaw... Take the pawpaws directly... No, wait a minute. Unsalted Tomato, tell me which pawpaw. Asamina triloba or Carica papaya? Asamina triloba is the northern pawpaw, or Carica papaya is the pawpaw papaya. So, so tell me that first be, before I give you the wrong information. Organic Gardening in North Carolina says, I'm in zone B, 
7B near South Carolina, I have to grow my Moringa as an annual. Maybe if I read your article on growing it in colder climates, it will make it through the winter here. Quite possibly. If you can, if you can keep the roots from freezing, it will grow back from the roots. But you also don't want the roots to soak up a lot of water in the winter because they'll rot. <clears throat> Southern. Okay, Carica papaya. That's the pawpaw of the tropics. Uh, for that, all, all I do is I take the slop right out of the plant and I, and I bury it, bury some of those seeds in the ground and in a little hill and I keep it watered and about a month later they usually come up and then you can select a few of your favorites out of there. Um, that's, it's pretty easy. You can store the seeds for a while. Uh, I have fermented them and stored the seeds so they, they have a higher germination rate, I think, fermenting them and planting them, but I've done both. <clears throat> Marie says, what do you think about planting fruit trees in October, zone 7B? It's not bad. It's not a bad idea. Temperate trees will do fine being planted in the fall. The best, I believe, though, is, is planting them in the very early spring from bare root trees. If you can get bare root trees, like from groworganic.com, which is, uh, I think it's Peaceful Valley, Organic Valley or something like that. Um, they sell really good, high-quality trees, and those, those bare root trees really grow well. But if you have potted trees, you can plant them in the fall. You plant them in the fall or plant them in the early spring. But I don't plant them like freezing midwinter, and I don't plant them uh, in the summer because they suffer too much. <clears throat> Unused kitty litter, good clay source for the garden? Yes. Uh, Jao Blixum says, I have snails attacking my tomatoes. What to do? Uh, the first line of attack is to go out in, in the evening when it's, when it's moist and they're starting to come out, and then crush and destroy everyone you can and throw them in your compost pile. And then if you are, uh, you know, then what you do is you take a can of cheap beer and you put some little dishes around your garden and pour a little cheap beer in it and the snails will smell it and come and drown themselves. They actually, they are alcoholics, so they'll come and do it. Bad Drivers of Columbus, Georgia says, when do kumquats typically flower? I can't remember when mine flowers. Usually like February, March, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> yes, it is a good clay source for the garden. Uh, it's, it's usually bentonite clay. <laughs> Finka says, I have broccoli, potatoes, and beets growing together and doing well. I'm confused. Plants actually do quite well often growing, growing in a group, so do it. Um, yes, and don't get scented because it has the chemicals to make it smell good. <clears throat> yeah. Keep calm. So anyhow, you guys, uh, the snails, you just put a little beer out in the garden. The snails will come and drink, and they drink so much that they drown themselves. It's very common. So I want to, um, the Happy Gardener says, quick, well, gonna, this is the last question I'm going to answer, and then I'm going to thank some people here. Quick question, half of my seedlings are twins. Twin peaches genetically identical to each other and the parent or just to each other? They are probably genetically identical. Well, I don't know if peaches come in polyembryonic. If they're polyembryonic, they're probably identical to the parent. If they are just a divided pit, which is more likely, they're probably not identical. They're, they're probably not even identical to each other. But they may be. It's a good question. I'm not sure for sure. <clears throat> I know if you get mangoes that have multiple sprouts coming from the same pit, they're all clones of the parent, which is kind of cool. Yeah, nothing in the beer. Don't worry about it. Okay, so I want to thank 
our super chats this evening, Indie Canada, and Sir Hat, and Danny, and Karen, and Original Crispy, and Scott Head, and um, all you guys that have pitched in too and become channel members. Thank you very much to all my members. Much appreciated for the, I appreciate having the regular support. And I like all the good questions and the interaction. And it's nice to have somebody to talk to while we're all in weird quarantine town right now. So that's why I keep doing these things. We almost got a two-hour talk tonight. So that was a lot of fun. I'm glad that uh, you guys have hung around for this. And thank you for all of the um, the super chats and, and all of the, just the encouragement and the conversation and everything. I miss you guys. I'm going to try and fix the internet situation so things are a little easier to manage and I can start doing some proper videos again and getting some things up and actually dealing with like, you know, getting good stuff to my subscribers and everything. Um, in other news, I finished the first draft of Garden Heat, a Jack Broccoli novel. So that is going to go to the illustrators very soon. I'm still waiting for Florida Survival Gardening to come back. But today, uh, what, what I'm doing actually is reading through garden heat to my kids so I can see if I find anything that doesn't quite work in the plot etc my kids will point it out so that's um that's gonna help that's good that's how I'm editing the first draft of it and then um but I, I also started at the same time I have started the good guide to food forests so I the tentative title is uh forest gardening for anarchists the good guide to food forests but that may that title may change but that is in progress and that is my, that's my next book project at the moment. Um, so trying to, I'm trying to keep, keep my publisher supplied with good books. And if I start now, then some months from now it will come out. You know, if I just got to keep working and working and working. And since it's been the dry season and there's hardly anything I can do in my gardens except water them, uh, I figure it's a good time to get some writing done and get ahead. Doesn't mean I'm going to finish the book this year. It just means I started it, so... Yeah, quarantine editing, exactly. The kids are like, would you read the next section? Read the next section? Could you read it now? Like, like we had breakfast, and, and my my seven-year-old is like, can you read this to me after breakfast? And I'm like, I have to work. <laughs> but, but I'll read it later. So, yeah, slugs are cheap dates. They like cheap beer. So, thank you, guys. Um, have a great rest of the day. Have a wonderful evening. I hope that all you guys are doing okay as we go through quarantine and all this nonsense, crazy, crazy stuff together. Um, hope you guys stay safe and your family stay safe. And please, please garden. Try not to kill your gardens. Um, do your best. This year is probably more important than most. This is a good time to press on and do your best. So <clears throat> that's right. When you've got it, plant near your house. Choose the right plants for the soil. Choose the right plants for the season. Don't buy compost. Do it yourself and make watering easy. That's the other one is make watering easy. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a great night. Thank you all. God bless. And I will catch you all again probably tomorrow. Until then, may your thumbs always be green.